Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I have Mike Larcher joining us on the podcast. He is the founder and CEO of Outsourced.ph or Outsourced. Uh, Mike is an industry veteran. He started Outsourced in 2012. He's been going a long time now. He has recently celebrated reaching 1,000 staff in his organization. He recently also sold another business and he's 100% focused on Outsourced and they are going on to, to great things. We talked to Mike actually about growth through acquisition. We talked about his acquisition targets, his thoughts on buying other outsourcing firms. And towards the end as well, we actually talk about the future of work. He's reading an interesting book at the moment. We talk about how AI could impact uh, the future of work generally, employment generally, but of course, also the outsourcing industry. So really good conversation, really interesting conversation with Mike Larcher. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Mike, it's great to talk to you. Outsourced is one of those names that's really kind of well known. It's been in the market for a long time. It's uh, got a great name, actually, great URL. It's an established brand. You've got great SEO working for you. Uh, so tell us a little bit, introduce Outsourced to the audience, please. Yeah, great. Thanks. So Outsourced was founded in 2012, so we've been around for 12 years now. So pretty early adopters of uh, outsourcing and staff outsourcing in the Philippines. I originally used to run a web design and marketing agency, which I started out of, out of uni as a 21-year-old. I was a super early adopter of search engine optimization. Uh, Google had only just been invented a couple of years before. So I, I think that's kind of given me a little bit of a head start on a lot of our competitors, you know, having a couple of decades of SEO experience and then a great name, like you mentioned. So yeah, we do perform really well on, on SEO. It brings in a lot of leads each month. 
and has really helped the, the growth of our business. So yeah, things are going really well. Well done. Well done. And uh, where are you now? Are you're, you know, this is very public. You're recently celebrating your number 1000 staff members. So what has that journey been like? Yeah. So we've had a really strong, especially last few years. The first, I'd say seven, eight years of outsourced, I was concurrently managing the agency still, um, which I sold a few years ago. Um, so the last few years, I've had a lot more time and attention to dedicate to outsourced. But I think I've also had a little bit of a, a kicker help um, post-COVID with the, the mindset change of people around the world that it doesn't matter where the staff are. They don't have to be sitting next to you in an office. Um, we've had the technological advancements with um, video conferencing and, and a shortage of people in, in the Western world in Australia. So I had a bit of luck on my side. I think uh, the whole industry has really. And we've kind of grown from what was about 300 staff when COVID hit to like you just mentioned, just reached a thousand. So it's been an amazing, amazing few years, really enjoying it and yeah, really happy to uh, reach the milestone. Yeah, congratulations. That is a great milestone, isn't it, to get to the 1,000? And obviously COVID changed things dramatically for everyone, not least outsourcing. What did you do regarding work from home versus office? Where are you now with that strategy? Yeah, I think it, it was really challenging at the time. I was a little bit old school initially about the importance of having people in the office, but, you know, was forced via COVID to get everyone at home and, and then really embraced it. I realized the importance of the, the health and wellness of the staff. It became really challenging at one point, some big business decisions, because as you know, in the Philippines, there's uh, tax incentives as operators, international operators who are bringing income into the Philippines. And the organization that provides that, PESA mentioned that you had to get all your staff back to the office. The question was put up upon us or forced upon us, do we enforce all of our staff to come back to the office or do we leave our tax benefits and focus on the health and wellness of the staff? So some of the organizations forced them back, and but uh, I, I lent in on um, just letting go of the tax benefits, focusing on the wellness of the staff, and it kind of really played out well for us. Um, we retained all our staff. We, it helped us hiring. Um, we really embraced the work from home. So even to today, we have probably only 30% of the staff in the office, 70% from home. And thankfully, post Duterte and Marcos coming in, there was a bit of a move and the BOI now allows the tax benefits for home-based staff. So I think we're rewarded in our decision there by allowing home-based and still kept uh, most of our tax benefits. So it was a really good outcome. I think- Yeah. Um, and how, yeah, did it, how did it impact your business model though? Because it fundamentally changes everything, doesn't it? You know, it's like you kind of invest a lot in your infrastructure and your offices and a lot of your kind of business model is built around that and your value, value proposition. So how do you- how do you change and what are you doing now? Are you sort of encouraging most people to use the office if they can or is home secondary or are you doing home as the primary solution? Yeah, so we actually opened up more offices, but smaller offices. So we've got more of a satellite set up with six offices now around the Philippines, including Cebu and, and Clark and various areas around Manila. So it kind of embraces no matter where in the Philippines you are, you can go into the office once a week or once a month or whatever it may be that your client prefers. Instead of it being 
you know, you have to travel for three hours to get to one office, which happens to be in, you know, the central business district, like the old mm. school way of doing things. So yeah, we've kind of leaned in on empowering people to work from home, but ha still have access to an office. And one thing that we do that some other providers don't is we also provide the equipment for the staff. So they're not using their own personal computers. We're ISO certified, we're big leaning on information and data security. Um, so we're providing the, the equipment and, and a router and controlling the internet to ensure the performance of the staff and the data security. We're still retaining our, I suppose, market leading information data security processes, but having staff at home and giving them access to, the, to offices, various offices around the Philippines. Sure. And how have you seen things evolve over 12 years? Yeah, you've been going 12 years now. How has the conversation changed? Like it, people with COVID as well, like people are now kind of embracing remote and global employment a lot more. But what was it like when you started 12 years ago? What was the conversation like compared to now? How have you seen things evolve? Yeah, good question. I think, you know, 12 years ago, the discussion was a lot more around the benefits of the Philippines, how outsourcing can work, how performance manage the staff, how do we get the quality? But it is yeah, a lot of more general questions about the Philippines and can outsourcing work for my business? Whereas I think the industry has evolved a lot and there's a lot more knowledge about the Philippines. A lot of people have tried outsourcing offshoring already. So they're kind of more coming in, just thinking about the roles and there's a a huge openness actually to, to the staff working from home, um, which I found quite surprising even, even to today that how many clients are, are still happy for the staff to, to just be working at home. Yeah, the conversation has definitely, definitely changed. There's less about explaining how a staff member who isn't sitting next to you could possibly work and having to sell to people how it doesn't matter if they're not sitting next to you, you can still run an operation. To people that just being general knowledge now because even in their local cities their teammates are working from home so they kind of understand that it doesn't matter where in the world they are if they're not sitting next to you they can still be efficient at doing their role yeah it's really opened up a lot of potential for the industry hasn't it and a lot of acceptance for remote work which folds well into global employment which is offshoring you are based in Sydney, Australia. What is the focus on Australian markets or you do global? What is the distribution of Australian to other clients? Yeah, when the business started, I'd say in the first first couple of years, most of our clients were from Australia. 11, 12 years on, we're about 40% Australian now. Most of our growth is coming out of North America and, and Europe. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely North America is where most of the growth is. And it actually changes a little bit depending on the kind of roles that people are looking for. So our specialty is IT, but we also provide finance and general admin and, and contact center staff. And it seems to be that most of the demand for IT is coming out of Australia and the UK, and then a lot of the kind of contact center works coming out of the US. But yeah, definitely we're a global operator now, and the US is just a much bigger market than Australia. And that's where most of our market, uh, most of our new clients are coming from. And with IT solutions, I've always, I've always perceived outsourced as more of a sort of technical outsourcer. Maybe it's because of your origins as well in digital marketing and things like that. But how have you seen the Philippine market 
evolve in terms of availability of deeper skilled roles and the more obscure roles within IT tech and things like that? Yeah, I think from day one, we've mostly been focused on IT. The first staff member I hired was a, a QA tester and I think the, the second was a web developer. And I, of our first hundred staff, they were all in, in IT and it wasn't until later years that we expanded into other categories. But certainly the majority of our staff, over 50% are in either IT or creative marketing types of roles. I think one thing that's enforced on the world at the moment is there's a huge shortage of IT talent globally. There kind of has been for, for a long time, but it's getting worse. So there's a moment there's something like 2 million vacant jobs in, in the US in IT, uh, and that's expected to get to 4 million. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a huge demand for IT. That, that does make people look offshore, like got the buying power, there's additional resources, but that demand does then create shortages of talent availability in the Philippines because everyone's trying to grab them. Um, mm. But yeah, the talent in the Philippines is exceptional. A lot of IT grads have been coming out of, of leading universities for over, over a decade now. Yeah, we're finding some amazing talents and the clients are, are really happy with their performance. And what are you seeing at the cutting edge of tech? I'm so distant from it, but, you know, in terms of AI and machine learning, and do you have a lot of clients now requesting, you know, AI developers, like just because it's so in vogue? Like, how are you seeing those things? How, how are you seeing the Philippine talent market respond to those cutting edge kind of technologies? Yeah, I guess it, it's such, it's only really been since GPT, what was that, October, November, a couple yeah. of years back. It's something that's only come to the uh, demand quite recently. So it's hard to find anyone that's got 10 years experience in, in AI, for example. So some of the clients are, are looking for skilled resources that they can train, but we're getting a lot of requests for things like data scientists and, and just software developers in general. The other big one is cybersecurity. And I'd say this year that the most in-demand jobs are kind of all going to be those kind of healthcare is another big category, but I think the, the data scientists, the AI machine learning engineers, software developers, the cybersecurity analysts, these kind of roles, there's going to be huge demand for it and just not enough people in the world um, to do this kind of work. It's a good problem for the people in that category, but yeah, we definitely need to try and create more of these, these humans to, until, that, until the demand's being filled. Yeah, and do you see the, the market responding? It's difficult to train these people up in, in any country, isn't it? It's difficult to get the supply matching the demand, but do you see these jobs come through and trickle through the market? Yeah, I think it's in such high demand and it's so popular that there's just so many grads now and universities jumping on this and training people up in, in AI and machine learning, or they're just getting just great software developers and, and training them. But yeah, I think... It's definitely a category to watch and one that we're going going all in on. And how do you go with clients that are potentially non-technical, they're business people, and they just say, look, I want someone to manage my IT or I want a digital marketer that can do SEO paid and write the content or maybe IT security, cybersecurity that, I don't know, does the whole stack. How do you go about that? Because I... With digital marketing, for example, there's probably 50 different roles and skill sets and professions within digital marketing. It's become very broad. But how do you respond to sort of client requirements? Are they generally 
pretty realistic about things or is everyone sort of always looking for that all rounder? I think like we're quite transparent on our business model and, and how we work. So traditionally BPO, business process outsourcing, there's an element of managed service. So traditionally people think of a contact center where they'll say, this is what I want the, the outcome to be. And the BPO will go off and get the staff themselves and put together a campaign and give weekly reports on how things are performing. So we're not a traditional BPO in that sense. We're a, an offshore staffing company. We take job requirements, we go to market, we headhunt, we become the employer of record, we provide the managed facilities, the retention. So we're all about finding great talent and retaining talent, but we don't provide the day-to-day management of the task. We empower the client to manage the staff themselves. So in that sense, if a non-technical person wanted to hire a software developer, for example, we just have to make it really clear to them, you're the one that's going to be defining the tasks that they do each day. So you you, you should probably really have a technical project manager to be defining the task for that person. But in some cases, it's, we've got one client, for example, that's building a, a custom application. They're experts in their category. They're not experts in technology. So they're just defining the requirements of their category, which happens to be finance and accounting, to the web developer. And he's doing an amazing job in building this application just based on non-technical briefs. But yeah, as long as they understand that the ideal scenario would be having someone on their team who is technical speaking to the software developers, how we assist is making sure that those software developers are vetted and tested and are high quality so they don't then hire these people and find out that the the code is of, of poor quality. Yeah. Yeah, it's critical how you set expectations and set up the structure so that it succeeds, yeah. And everyone being on the same level at the same time. Yeah, and going back to your your other point as well about digital marketing, I think another element that some people get a little bit confused is they they ask for a virtual assistant. And then you say, what do you want the virtual assistant to do? And they say, I need them to manage my website, do my digital marketing, some SEO, some PPC, some copywriting. You don't really need a virtual assistant, you need a digital marketer. And not only asking for a digital marketer, you're asking for someone who's skilled in lots of different elements of digital marketing. So yeah, again, it comes down to our ability to educate the client on the right kind of job title. And sometimes it needs two two different people, one that might be better at search engine optimization and one that might be better at paid advertising. And then they might even in a graphic designer or, in a, or a, someone with a little bit of HTML skills that can, can manage their website. So yeah, I suppose it's our responsibility to ensure that they don't go down the wrong path of hiring someone who's a, as a VA who really isn't going to have the right skill set or, or be okay at lots of things but not really great at any of them because that's not their specialty and then it's just going to fail. Yeah, it's, and I think that it's a bit of a red flag, isn't it, if someone comes in and says that because it's not, you then have to take it upon yourself to, it's not really teaching them about outsourcing and how it works. It's actually, you, you're teaching them, teaching this person how to run a business. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah, there's yeah. not these unique yeah. unicorns that, that can do everything and they're just going to be an assistant and they're going to be able to run the business while you're on the beach, you know, and every role has its specialties and you need to get people that can do that. It, it's kind of a, you talk, it's kind of business 101, isn't it? And these are red flags and that people probably are pretty early on in their business and they're going to have speed bumps along the way. Like 
do you just kind of roll with it or do you sort of sit them down and say, look, it, it's kind of a discussion about how to run your business, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, we, we do work with some startup businesses and, and small businesses that only have one or two staff. But I suppose our target client is, is small to medium. Typically, our clients are going to have 10, 100, 400 staff already. And this is, they're going to ask to hire you know, 5, 10, 20 with us. So they're further down the path of development. But we do definitely get cases of clients contacting us that are sole traders and they just want a VA and the VA, they want the VA to do every single thing. So we, we do kind of need to educate them a bit. It, it's important that we explain how it works so that they don't waste their time and we don't waste our time and we don't get someone to resign from their current employment yeah. and work for us for this person to kind of tell them that it's not working out and then become unemployed. So we've got a moral and ethical uh, responsibility to the client and to the staff to make sure that maybe what you're looking for, we may not be the best provider for that service and maybe what you need is an agency who can do lots of little tasks at an hourly rate or something instead of one person who's expected to do 10 different job titles. It's critical, isn't it? And this is a really serious business because you're dealing with people's livelihoods in terms of the the staff. And like outsourcing is it tries to be very flexible. It tries to give a lot of flexibility to clients, but they also need to respect the fact that they're probably going to recruit someone that is leaving a job to come into this job. It's a good career opportunity for them. And if the client sees it as, look, we can dump this if it doesn't work in 30 days, it's tough, isn't it? And so it's always up the job of the outsourcing firm to to kind of manage those expectations on both sides and do a little bit of co-parenting throughout. You know? Yeah, I think some providers, I suppose, are more concerned about winning the new business and trying to make it sound like it's easy to, to get in, easy to get out. We definitely have high, super high value of the health and wellness of everyone in the Philippines. We definitely don't want anyone to resign from stable employment to come over when we've told someone that it's just easy to let them go. So we make it really clear to the clients that we're going to be making a job off this person. So let's hire slowly. We go through all the testing. We make sure that either the client's really sure this is the right person. And then we help with the onboarding, making sure that everything is going to work well. In some cases, it may not work, but as long as we've 99% of the time getting the right candidate for, for a client who's going to give it a genuine shot for the long term, then that's that's our responsibility. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's sort of, it's easy for sales teams to sell the dream, isn't it? And then actually the reality of building a team, of recruiting the right person, onboarding the person, it can take years to properly, to groom a great staff member, can't it? And it's difficult balancing those two perspectives. Yeah. So we've, we've got our own learning management system internally. We provide a free education for the staff. And if there ever is a a shortfall of knowledge, you know, we work closely with the client to, to document how the staff member could improve and do everything possible to you know, train them and get them up to speed and work through any kind of performance issues. And the ideal scenario is that they improve for both parties is that person improves and can do the role. And if they can't, then just like you know, hiring locally, sometimes it, the person isn't the right fit for the role. But I think as long as we've picked, educated the client enough to, so that they are looking for the right person, are willing to give it a shot for the long term, and we are doing the right things by the employee to make sure they have a fair shot. That's all we can ask for ourselves and of the company. 
So, Mike, what are your plans for the future? You sold your other business, I understand, and now you're fully focused on outsourced. You've reached the thousand person mark. What are your ambitions for the future now with outsourced? Yeah, so I think when I was at 50 staff, my goal was to get to 100. And then at 100, it became 200. And then 200 became 500 and 500 became 1,000. I'm setting larger goals each time. And, and my next goal is, is I, I sometimes jump between 2,000 or 5,000 or 10,000, but it's, it's thousands more. And part of that will be through natural growth, but we're also looking to do some acquisitions. So we've been reaching out to a, a lot of competitors in the market, ones that, that, that seem to be having, have a good operation, look like it'd be a good fit. And we're looking to do some mergers and acquisitions, multiple, I guess, over, over the next few years, I, I think through, through natural growth in the next three years, we can get to 5,000 staff. So I've got, if we start adding some acquisitions in there, I'm really confident that we can reach some pretty amazing numbers and, and be a really recognized player globally. I'm also, like we're currently just in the Philippines, I'm also looking to open up in, in other regions as well. So yeah, a lot to keep me busy. That's exciting. And what are you looking at? You're looking at generalists or you're looking for specialized verticals that can sort of add different, whatever, bows to your capability? I think my, my ideal acquisition target or merger would be someone who is in the IT category. I think that's where the future of demand is in the next couple of years. But yeah, we're also considering anyone who's just got good momentum of staff growth. We're kind of trying to avoid the ones that are doing campaign-based contact center kind of style work. Mm -hmm. You don't get the same compounding growth. It's seasonal. You don't know what kind of income you're going to have next week. You're constantly having to hire 100 people and then let go of 100 people because the campaign's finished for that month. So it's not really the kind of environment that we want to create. We want to create stable, long-term employment for staff. And we want to build teams, successful teams for clients that grow over time. And I think that kind of professional services category around, you know, IT, creative engineering, healthcare, marketing, these kind of categories are what I'm most interested in. And what are you seeing out in the market? Like I see that prices are pretty high. You know, generally globally, we're pretty recessionary. There's not that much funding in the market. Everything's pretty dry at the moment, but outsourcing is seeing incredible growth generally. And any BPO worth its salt is seeing great growth. And so people don't really want to leave it. And if they're approached, then prices are pretty significant. And there's a few examples in the market where they've captured really fantastic pricing. So are you seeing reasonable sort of price expectations or are you seeing really kind of hot and frothy multiples? I think it's definitely changed. So I suppose we started the conversations around 12 to 18 months ago, which was post-COVID. I think everyone was just going through this crazy boom period, adding growth by 50%, growth by 80%, growth by 100% was kind of happening for a couple of years. And I think things certainly slowed down, especially for some that were it focused on some categories that aren't performing that well. So there's definitely, and I think AI has definitely shaked up, it shook up the industry. So I'm seeing sentiment change. People are more willing to have the discussion now about merger acquisition. Whereas yeah, 18 months ago, it was quite hard to start the conversation. Everyone was generally saying things are going great. The future looks great. And then throwing out some ridiculous multiple 
or mm. just saying, I'm not interested. I want to ride this through. And then some of those are starting to come back now saying, oh, you know, that conversation we're having, we'll let's start talking again. So yeah, definitely sentiment change, some good conversations happening. I think a lot of the ones in too focused in, in contact center seasonal stuff, the multiples have dropped a lot. I think the teleperformances of the world is even their multiples were up around, I think 12, 13, I think they're down to like six or something. So the market's definitely shifted due to AI in terms of some of the multiples and depending on the category that you're in. But I think those professional services, IT ones are, are probably going to get the, the best multiples in the future. It's a good point, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, I think any of the big kind of traditional call centers, they really are, they really are going to be under pressure from AI because there's all of these like voice-enabled AI bots that can call out now and stuff like that. Like It's definitely going to uh, hit, and it's really the, the ones that are sort of technically enabled and offering complex solutions that are preserving their value. So it, it's going to be interesting how that reflects on the outsourcing market. It is interesting that you're seeing you're building these relationships and kind of everyone comes out of the gate really hot and <laughs> kind of asking for massive multiples. But if, if you just kind of stick with them over months or years, then it probably kind of normalizes, doesn't it? Because people realize it's hard to do a deal when you're talking massive multiples. But that, that also reflects, I, I speak to a lot of people that am, have ambitions of doing roll-ups and buying multiple BPOs, but it's not easy, is it? Like it's really difficult to do one deal, never mind strap together kind of five or ten deals and in harmony sort of thing. Yeah. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, I think finding finding people who are willing to have a discussion is, is the first hurdle. It, it might be one in twenty that will have a chat about it. And, and then of those that you, you start chatting to, maybe only one in four, you know, have books that look anything along the lines of something that could be like a, a going business that, that isn't about to be run to the ground or isn't a complete mess. So I've actually been quite surprised by that, how difficult it was to find ones that were willing to talk and then the, the amount of the ones that were willing to talk that their books were just not really looking that strong. But yeah, there are some gems out there and we've got some really good conversations happening at the moment and really excited. Some look pretty close to the close this year. I'll be definitely be in contact with your, your your team to let them know when when that happens and be celebrating our, our first first acquisition of many. Yeah, well done, Mike. That's really exciting. Really exciting. I think. Look, it's really good for the industry if there's more activity like that because there's not actually enough activity. There's a lot of talk about it, but I think the whole industry could benefit if there's more activity and it will get more PE into the space. It will get more attention into the space. So yeah, definitely rooting for you there, Mike. It's yeah, exciting. thank you. Thanks. Good. And Mike, you are IT, your technology, but what do you see about the future in terms of this AI? Is it a threat, do you think, or is it just another tool that will help you leverage your solutions? I think that it's such a good question. And I'm reading this brilliant book at the moment. It's called A World Without Work. And I've read quite a few now on a similar kind of topics. And there's these experts, PhD people in the industry for, since day one that have devoted their life to AI, they don't even know they jump between, even in this book, it's, he's kind of talking about the different kinds of scenarios. And, and I think when you look back in history, you'll see that automation and innovation has created more work. So there's that debate that innovation and this automation of tasks has been happening for a long time. You just have to look at the farming, for example, there's 
used to be something like 70% of people were working in, in the industry and now it's down to less than five because the machines are doing most of the work. But the farms are larger and producing so much more product. But the, the people that used to work on farms are now doing other roles. It's not like there's a huge unemployment. Like the world has moved forward in terms of lower un- unemployment and higher or better state of living. But I think, yeah, to, to this author's point, his concern is that it's, this could be different. This could really have a huge impact on like the horse. He, his analogy is referring to the horse and cart and how cars made horses redundant and they're just something that's used for pleasure now. And he's suggesting that potentially we're going to be the horse. So the AI is going to re- make us redundant. And then how do you live in a world where a, a large proportion of humans do not have work and how do we care for those people and what do they do each day? But I think we're a long way off. I think it's not happening this year. It's not happening next year. So it, for, for right now, we're just really focused on there's a huge demand for, for staff. There's not enough people in the world available to do the amount of work that needs to be done. We're overflowing with requests. So in, in the next few years, I'm just really focused on finding all those clients and finding all the the staff to do all the work that needs to be done and just hoping in in the future past that that there's going to be enough work for everyone yeah it's fascinating isn't it i've I've just actually bought that book as you spoke about it because i'm fascinated by the whole thing as well and wasn't it the first economist the scottish economist whatever his name was that he suggested with the increases in productivity like no one will need to work by about 1980 and of course maybe 1920, but of course, everyone still does and everyone's busier than ever. And I find it interesting as well that um, people said with outsourcing, with offshoring, everyone's going to lose all their jobs and outsourcing offshoring has been happening for 30 years now. And we're in the sort of lowest level of unemployment ever. And there's massive staff shortages and we can't get enough people to do the work we need. And that's despite 30 years of um, sort of massive growth in offshoring and it, it just goes to show that like whatever what there's just more and more demand isn't there but whether this technology would be an absolute quantum leap where it just renders humans completely kind of useless and then humans would need to all become baristas or artists or something yes. to find <laughs> purpose it's it's yeah it's, fascinating it's isn't it? yeah I'm, I'm definitely fascinated by it and especially super interested even more so because my whole company is uh, reliant on employment of humans but uh, yeah I, i'm definitely sh- i'm strong on the fact that there's so much demand for humans at the moment and in in the foreseeable future there's just so much work out there i think there'll be certain jobs today that will not exist next year and the year after that that they'll be replaced by new roles if you, you, you think back some of the roles we were just talking about before you know machine learning engineers and cybersecurity analysts like some of these roles didn't exist not that long ago and digital marketing wasn't really something 20 years ago. So there'll be things like that, that new categories created that we haven't even thought of yet. We don't even know what they're going to be. Those things will get created. And I hope that the people doing the most boring jobs will be able to move into more interesting and, and fulfilling jobs. And that's will be the first transition from AI. Like you think of some of the things that automation has replaced, like someone standing in a an elevator lift and opening, closing the doors and pressing the buttons, like automation replaced mm. those people. But I hope those people are now doing much more interesting work. And, and likewise, the first jobs that AI will take are probably going to be the most mundane ones. And 
let's hope those people find work in something that's going to be more enriching to their lives and in higher demand. Yeah, it's, it is interesting, isn't it? I think humans need purpose, but I, I think we're going to be able to fill that void. Like people find immense purpose, like playing football or tennis. And, and if you actually break that down, what is it? You're just chasing a ball around the field. It's ridiculous. But when it has the context, it has enormous purpose. Um, do you find as well, last question, then we can <laughs> round off, but do you find as well when you're, if you do any fundraising or you're talking to bankers, they sort of unfairly pick on outsourcing. They go, oh my God, with AI, with automation, you're going to be wiped out. And I'm like, that's unfair. You know, all the drivers in the US are going to be wiped out soon. All the checkout clerks are going to be wiped out soon. And I think that if outsourcing is wiped out, considering it's actually just generalist staff augmentation, I think it's only going to be wiped out at the same rate as your typical American job is going to be wiped out because we just represent employment. And so if it happens to everyone, then it's a global issue. And that's a completely different thing we're talking about. Do you find that like a lot of people sort of single out outsourcing and go, oh my God, you're going to be wiped out by <laughs> AI? <laughs> yeah, I think it was a hotter topic. I think a few months after ChatGPT, where everyone was thinking that you know, here's the technology that's going to take away everyone's need to to have any kind of employment but i think the more you play with it the more you realize that this it's got a long way to go and it, it's currently creating more jobs and people's jobs are changing just one quick example if someone said to me previously can i hire a copywriter in the philippines i probably would have said look it's really hard to find it's their second language there's going to be local language issues in terms of the way that they use english it's not going to maybe relate with your local audience but now we could get someone who has basic skills in programming ChatGPT and it can create amazing content better than probably the client would be able to create with the exception of using ChatGPT themselves. So it's kind of empowered this whole new category of people that to use AI, it's creating work in, in for outsourcing that maybe wasn't there in the past. Something you might have had to have done onshore, you could now do offshore through the power of AI. So I think, yeah, some, th there's definitely growth potential and I haven't really been getting that conversation from the, the banks that we're speaking to. I think they're seeing a lot of growth in the category. We can show our growth and they're seeing the kind of um, growth that other companies are getting. So I don't think there's really a concern from them about the future at this stage. I think they just want to, they're probably more concerned about something like the Philippines as, as a country. <laughs> And wanting more stability from to bring your money into the states or Australia or something, but uh, yeah, I still think there's a lot of outside of maybe just those specialised in in contact center services only. Companies like mm -hmm. ours focus largely on professional services. Huge demands. I can see it going for many years in the future. So yeah, really kind of hitting those blockers at this stage. Yeah, TBD, TBD. But yeah. it is, it's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Like how this technology oh, has really sort of change things you know one thing i do reckon that will rock the world a little bit is this ai connected to a human voice and as soon as they mm. make a human sounding voice robot voice but as soon as they can make it sound absolutely convincingly human which i think they're not that far from you're just going to be doing outbound inbound calls like that that's kind of deadly like that will wipe away a lot of the industry that are just doing these sort of mindless calls and imagine outbound calls, like with one bot, you could just phone a million people at one time with the best script ever. It, it's, it's, I find that fascinating and that's going yeah, to change I, things and that's coming out now, you know. 
I think, you know, there's already jobs being replaced by in that kind of chat space, you know, roles that were typically done by a human responding. The, the amount of data that the, the chatbots have access to that, and the, how quickly they can respond, depending on the type of questions, as long as they don't require emotion so much. I think one there's of the There's still concern- a lot of latency, isn't there? Like there's a lot of latency with them calculating the, the answer. But again, that's going to be resolved soon, isn't it? And also the voices aren't sounding human enough yet. But again, I yeah. think that'll be resolved in a few but months. It comes back. I mean, ChatGPT, Bard, I mean, I'm on the tools every day. The amount of mistakes that they make, but how much confidence they give you the answer with, I think is another concern. It's mm. gathered data from all over the internet and not everything on the internet is accurate. So yeah, I think it just seems like a super intelligence. So what, every answer it comes back with, you're assuming that it's correct. But if you've got some general knowledge yourself on the topic, and you read it and you say, that's not correct. And you challenge it. It comes back saying, oh, yes, yeah, sorry, um, I made a mistake there. <laughs> but if you didn't know, you'd just kind of believe that everything it said because it feels like it's some sort of super intelligence. So I think you know, the te- technology has come a long way. It's absolutely mind-blowing how amazing it is, but it's nowhere near human intelligence and it's got a long way to go before it replaces in that way. But yeah, certain tasks, it, it, it certainly can, can replace general responses to basic questions. Mm. Yeah, fascinating stuff. But as you say, it's just, you know, we're all just, I think, focused on a couple of steps ahead of us and and then the path is clear, isn't it? You know, it's just, let's carry on, let's stay focused and, and grow and there's huge opportunity in there, isn't there? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm super positive. And yeah, we've got a massive backlog of, of staff to find and it's really exciting for the future. Mike, thank you so much. Great to have you on the show and catch up with Outsourced and Congrats on the hundred, sorry, on the thousand staff, Mark. That's really fantastic. If anyone wants to reach out and understand more about Outsource or talk about their business requirements, how can they do that? So the best way is either go to our website, outsourced.ph, or they can shoot me uh, an email, mike at outsourced.ph. That was Mike Larcher, CEO and founder of Outsource.ph. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to OutsourceAccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, drop us an email to ask at OutsourceAccelerator.com. See you next time.